Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Drive Nation podcast with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel. We're recording this podcast on the Monday morning after the first Grand Prix of the very much delayed 2020 Formula One season. We've been waiting seven months for an F1 race. Uh, and I think w- the wait was worth it, wasn't it, Andrew? It was a, a real cracker to get the new season underway. Uh, yeah, first of all, hello, everybody. And secondly, yes, it was. I mean, I stayed awake through an entire Grand Prix. Um, I don't <laughs> stay awake through much on a Sunday afternoon, but um, it was great. I mean, it, it started off, didn't it? it sort of, I mean, there were, there was some interesting stuff, obviously, with Lewis getting his grid penalty and you know, and not getting pole from, from, from the get-go. But it's still, you know, when those two Mercedes were just sort of like way ahead of everybody else, it, we, we could see the way it was all going. Yeah. And then suddenly, you know, stuff started happening, didn't it? People started falling off, cars started breaking, and, and we ended up with, I think we ended up with some really um, interesting outcomes and some really encouraging performances. Um, so, yeah, great race. Whether that actually means much for the season to come i remain to be convinced about yeah so we're following uh, last week's podcast with this one last week we we previewed the start of the 2020 season um and i think we were slightly skeptical weren't we about what what the first race of the 2020 season might deliver um i think we were expecting lewis dominance uh and not a great deal by way of competition um well i mean first of all valtteri bottas looks incredibly racy um, yeah, but he did. He, 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 he does did, at times, though, doesn't he? And, and he, he did last year, didn't he? Exactly. Didn't he? Yeah, and we all went woo. And yeah, I mean, this, this this is my concern for this season is that you know is that I mean, Valtteri, yes, did look pretty good this time last year or, or at the start of last year's season, and then obviously Lewis ran away with it. Uh, and also, you know, we know that the Mercedes has never gone particularly well around that circuit. And we know that Mercedes develops their car through the year. They turn up with the best car and then they make it even better at a rate that the others can't match through the rest of the year. I mean, Ferrari coming P2, I mean, they, they would have bought that all day long before the race. I mean, I think that, you know, as I think Martin Brundle said that they're the fifth best team out there at the moment. And absolutely, I, I would agree with that. They seem to be behind um, the racing point and they seem to be behind um, McLaren, let alone Red Bull and Mercedes. So... You know, uh, it was a great race to watch, but, um, you know, I, th- I think our predictions were, of course, completely wrong for this particular race. But I think <laughs> over the course of the season, uh, sadly, I think we may be slightly closer to the truth. Yeah, well, I think we stand by what we said, that it's 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 another Mercedes year, isn't it? Um, we'll, we'll have to review that a few months from now and see how right or how wrong we got it. But I think we, we still stand by that prediction for the time being, at least, um, partly because the Red Bull ring hasn't necessarily favoured the Mercedes over the years, and yet they were half a second clear of Max in the Red Bull um, in qualifying. So pff, that car's still a gun, isn't it, that Mercedes? 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you wait till you start to get it, start getting to the really fast circuits with the really long straights and that engine's allowed to let go. I mean, the Red Bull did look mighty impressive in the corners, didn't it? I mean, for, for Alex Albon to be able to drive around the outside of Lewis in a corner, I mean, geez. If you just think about that, you know, this, this young guy who I don't think before he came into F1 anybody particularly rated. I mean, people were always talking about Lando and they're talking about George Russell. Um, and, you know, Albon was kind of the sort of, oh yeah, and there's him as well. And now look at him. I mean, he had a, um, you know, he had a great race, I think at Spa last year. Um, and, you know, he got driver of the day yesterday on, uh, on, on the Sky coverage. And, you know, and, and fair play, you know, driver of the, the day, despite what Lando did at the end of it. Um, so, yeah, um, but as you say, yeah, I still think that Mercedes, once they get onto the circuits that suit them more, I think they'll, they're, they're going to run and hide, I'm afraid. So it, it was interesting from the start. We, we saw Valtteri kind of shoot off the line and build up a gap over Max quite quickly. Um, and sadly, we didn't get to see what Max was able to do in that race because some sort of uh, mechanical or electrical failure put him out on lap 11. Um, what, what do you th- do? You think that he had anything up his sleeve? Do you think maybe with a, a little bit of strategy and the the safety cars, he could have been a, a more of a thorn in the side, couldn't he? Yeah, I mean, you know, I th- well, I mean, if you take the view, uh, and it's an entirely partial one, but certainly uh, Christian Horner thought that um, Alex could have won the race, um, and Alex obviously thought that Alex could have won the race, and and the rate that he was gaining at the end uh, on his tyres. Now, I don't think that, you know, although I think we're all being surprised and impressed by Alex Albon, I don't think that there are many people who would yet put him in the same league as Max. So if, you know, Alex was in a position to win the race, then you'd think that Max with a, you know, if his car hadn't let down, would be, it would be doubly so. I think it could have been really quite interesting up front. Um, I think, you know, with both Mercedes out there, my money would still be on, would still be, have, have been on Bottas to win it. But, yeah, who knows? I mean, you know, the good news is we've got next weekend. Um, so maybe we'll get to find out what those Red Bulls can do um, from the get-go. But, I mean, you know, another very interesting characteristic of that race was just the number of cars. It just broke down. Th- things fell off them. The cars coasting for some... I mean, I, mean, I can all remember, you know, obviously Formula One in the 1980s when this kind of happened, like, all the time. And, you know, eight, nine cars retiring from a single race was, you know, not only... Um, you know, commonplace, it usually happened. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Because they said, oh, yeah, it's first race of the season and that sort of thing. But it's, you know, there's, there's always a first race to every season. Um, and yeah, I, don't, I just don't really understand why, why, why stuff was packing up at quite the rate that it did. I think the, the curbs um, around Austria cause cars lots of trouble, don't they? If you certainly if you ride them too hard, yeah, they did. But but but, you know, but people know that, don't they? It's not like it's the first time they've they raced at the A1 ring. Um, you know, the, the, they will all have all the data from all the impacts on all the curbs right around that circuit. Um, and you know, maybe it was drivers who were rusty, and their drivers were just using that inch or two more space than they would do normally, and therefore getting up curbs they wouldn't normally be hitting. I don't know. It's interesting. I remember watching it and seeing all these cars drop out um, and all the safety cars. Um, and I just thought, wow, you can tell it's been seven months since anyone's tried to do this, can't you? <laughs> um, <laughs> and, but so let, let's talk a bit more about Alex Albon because, well, he, he, he was one of the big talking points from the race. Um, I'm, I'm, you're quite right to say that he hasn't been rated up until now quite as highly as some of the other younger British guys. Um, but... I mean, he looked, he really was on it yesterday. I think we have to acknowledge that he qualified half a second off Max. Um, So there is a big gap there. Uh, And I think if he's going to establish himself as, you know, one of the the top draw drivers in Formula One over the next few years, I think he is going to have to try and close that gap in qualifying, isn't he? Um, But... uh, you know, despite that, he still found himself in a position, perhaps with some safety car fortune, um, he, he did find himself in a position to potentially win the race. He was, with 11 laps to go, he was on the tail of the two Mercedes. He was sort of very briefly past one of them um, on new soft tyres, while the Mercs were both on old hard tyres. Um, he he really could have won that race. Um, and, you know... He, you really don't win races through blind luck alone. Um, but, of course, the big talking point, and something that we have to address now, particularly because as a, 
as sort of you, well you've been watching formula one for a long time andrew and you've been you've done a lot of racing yourself as well we have to talk about the hamilton album incident where do you stand I, I i i to me there's only one way of looking at it um you know it was a racing incident but it was lewis's fault um and, and actually i'm going to come on to another point which i think is quite is also interesting in a minute i mean okay point one i mean how gutsy to drive you know for young alex album to try and drive around the outside of lewis hamilton i mean that actually more than anything else is what really um makes me optimistic about alex album because you know whatever else he is he may not be quite as quick as max but goodness me he's a racer isn't he you know, he's not one of these guys who's going to be you know, let himself be you know, intimidated by a six times world champion. It's just not only will I, you know, I'm not only will I, you know, overtake this player. I'm going to go around the outside of him. And you know, you don't put moves on that. You know, very few people put moves like that on Lewis Hamilton. And you know, the fa- I mean, very simply, uh, at the time that the cars connected, um, you know, Alex was well ahead. I mean, you know, the fact it was Lewis's front tire against Alex's rear tire it tells you all you need to know. Um, you know, Alex couldn't go anywhere else. Um, but you know, it was unfortunate and, and, and absolutely it was no, despite the fact that it happened in Brazil last year and that is unfortunate, but that is a coincidence. There's no way Lewis intended that. Um, it was just, you know, he was committed, he was on a trajectory and it was just one of those things. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you have to point the finger anyway, anywhere, then you point it at Lewis. Um, but you also accept it was a racing accident. The only thing I think is a shame is, you know, and I don't suppose there's anything you can do about it is, all right, you know, Lewis got a five-second penalty, but he still very nearly got... I mean, if it hadn't been for Lando's insane last lap, Lewis would still have been on the podium, um, and Alex got got nothing. Now, whether Alex's retirement was a result of the impact, who knows? But it just... It seems a real shame to me that someone who tried that hard and made that kind of effort should be rewarded with, you know, without a single point. Um but, you know, I, th- I think potentially going forward, it's, it, it's encouraging because, you know, if he's going to have a go at guys like Lewis, then bring it on. Yeah, I think it, I tend to side on the, the racing incident um, sort of conclusion. That, that's, that's what I feel. Um, I, think, I think Albon was incredibly brave to try it around the outside of a corner that had a huge gravel trap right there. Um, and that's you know that's what we want. We do want drivers to be brave, and we do want consequences. We don't want huge runoff areas. So that's all good stuff. However, I do wish that he just waited a little bit longer. I wish he'd been slightly more patient and found a safer way to get past Hamilton and then perhaps past Bottas as well. Yeah, but but you know you know he had to make the most of those tyres, didn't he? Because if he'd waited another, you know, Lewis would have been wise to that and would have shut that door, um, you know, from there on in. And, you know, he had to make the, the most of those tyres while, while, while they were still, you know, it was going to get harder for him every lap from then on in because, you know, his tyres were going to age. And, you know, it, I think he just saw his moment and he went for it. What I would like to know, and I don't know, because you know, I've been in situations where, you know, people, someone's come, tried to come around the outside of me and I've been, you know, I've been in some old shed and it's been sort of sliding out. And, and, and certainly in a lot of the old stuff that I race because it's incompetent and sometimes quite heavy cars, you can't just change your line and you're committed. You know, the car's going to go where the car's going to go and you can't change that. And if there's a car there, you're going to hit it. What I don't know is with a modern Formula One car, whether if you just sort of turn a bit more or if you lift a bit, um, you can angle a car back into, towards, the corner so that you give your you can give a competitor a bit of racing room um i just don't know how throttle sensitive they are i just don't know i mean i presume if it's lewis and he's absolutely on it um there is no margin for error but i I would love to know i would love to understand more what options if any lewis had yeah he's on old hard tires i suspect he's giving it everything he can to try and close that door and not lose the position um I, I I suspect that once he was committed to his line, there's nothing he could do. I don't think he could have trimmed his line to no, give you're probably Alex right. more space. Um, and I, I, I that, this is why I think it's a racing incident because what would Hamilton have had to have done to have avoided that incident? Well, he would have had to bailed out of his robust defence very very early on, probably um, during turn into the corner and. That's certainly not what we want to see in Formula One. You know, we want robust defence and robust attacks that stay on the right side of clean. But you know, the the consequences were so great for Albon that yeah, five. So you can't. I, I don't think you can argue too hard, really. No, I mean, Alex was saying that you know, in his mind, um, you know, the move was made. He was so far ahead. He said he was actually thinking about right. I've got to go and get, get Valtteri now. 
Um, and then there was, oh, I, don't know, I don't know, it'll just be one of those things, but it was a shame. But even so, I think we have to sort of take, see the big picture. And I think the fact that there is, you know, one more young gun out there um, doing his stuff um, and challenging the establishment has got to be good news. It really has. One last thing to say on that. I, I heard um, Nico Rosberg talking a few weeks ago um, about Hamilton, and he made a very, very good point. He said that in wheel-to-wheel battles... Hamilton's real skill is to to drive in such a way that anything he does is always in the grey area. Okay, so like his defence here, it's in the grey area. It's debatable yeah. whether or not yeah. it's it's fair. Okay, and that's that's maybe his key skill in wheel to wheel battles. And Ro- Rosberg said that whenever he tried to pull something similar, he always stepped into the black zone where it's quite clearly his fault and there was yeah. there was no debate around it. Um, I, I just thought that was fascinating. And I, th- I think grey areas with driving as well as with, you know, with race regulations, I mean, that's where you make the difference, isn't it? Um, you know, grey areas are not against the rules. Um, and if you can live in those grey areas, and I, th- I think Nico's absolutely right, um, then, you know, I don't think drivers should be criticized for that um you know they have to make the most of whatever they can do within the the the, the framework that they have um and i think that he's absolutely right i think lewis is um is better at that than anybody else uh but on lewis, on the subject of lewis i think on the podcast last week or i certainly said it before i've you know i have said that i've just thought that lewis is in a complete league of his own at the moment referring to his performance particularly last season where you know so far as i could see he just didn't make a mistake all season. Um, and yet, this weekend, he made a mistake in qualifying, which got him a grid drop, and he made a mistake in the race, which cost him a podium. Um, what, if anything, are we to read into that? He does, every now and again, have a slightly scruffy weekend. It's very unusual, but he did in Brazil, um, again with Albon last year. He did in Germany um, at Hockenheim. Do you remember he... So what, what happened? He, he went off where a few drivers went off towards the end of the lap and nudged the wall um lost his front wing you know cut the the pit lane entry um and his race kind of unraveled from there and he i think he scored one point in the end didn't he but it was a very very bizarre off weekend for him so it happens occasionally um i suspect what we'll see now is him come back and be faultless this weekend um and remind us why we all think he's in a, a league of one at the moment yeah um but we'll have to wait and see. I mean, we remember as well that he hasn't tended to love Austria, but next we have Hungary, which he's won, I think, more than any other driver. Um, and then two races at Silverstone. Which, <laughs> so, you know, even if he has a slow start to the season, I, I suspect he'll do some catching up fairly rapidly. Well, let's have a little think about Ferrari, because as we know, Andrew, um, I think when you were on... Chris Harris's Collecting Cars podcast, he made the point that if, if we cut you, you, you bleed Marinello. Yeah, well, particularly as far as Formula 1 is concerned. Uh, is it very, I, I kind of regard the race team and the road cars as two entirely separate uh, entities. But yeah, certainly so far as Formula 1 is concerned, I am an unashamed Ferrari supporter. So pretty galling then to hear them say before the start of the weekend that uh, they've got this wrong and we're not going to be competitive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But also, you know, it's... It, it, it's if you are somebody who however much you might admire mercedes just loves the idea of great close competitive racing at the top level in formula one um you know ferrari not being able to do that is just one less reason to be interested in the sport um and and it was galling and you know let's hope that their big aerodynamic update for hungary is going to fix the problem but you know personally and i don't know what your views are on this you know i do not think it is a coincidence that their form last year fell off a cliff when people started investigating their engine and of course you know the results of the the FIA inquiry are have been kept secret uh, and, and it's absolutely right to ask why that might be but what we do know is that you know right up until that moment Ferrari appeared to have if not the best then certainly one of the best two cars on the grid and since then they really really struggled and they're still struggling um, and you know hopefully a big aerodynamic update will get them closer to the front um, but I think frankly their problems go rather deeper than that I just I just don't think they've got the power anymore. Mm, yeah it's it, it's you're right it's much more than a coincidence it's also quite shady isn't it the way it's been handled by ferrari and the fia um it so in austria they were the the, the fastest ride charles leclerc was a second off in qualifying seb didn't even make the top 10 shootout q3 um 
And then, well, let's talk about Leclerc first, because he still finished second. Uh, I mean, again, there is some fortune in that because a couple of cars dropped out um, and the safety cars, safety cars the safety yeah. car periods just shook up the whole, the whole thing. But nonetheless, he put what seems to be a bit of a pig of a car um, in second. And that, that, that is a sign of a, a very, very capable driver. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you think that on pure speed alone, um, yeah, if you, if, if you take Martin Brundle's view, which I do, that, you know, the Ferrari right now are behind the Mercedes, the Red Bulls, the Racing Points and McLaren. You know, if everybody has like a normal race, he's coming eighth. Um, uh, no, he's not. He's coming ninth, isn't he? Um, so, yeah, I, I think he just didn't make a mistake, did he? He just um, he just. Uh, did he made the absolute most of the limited resources that were available to him and like all great racing drivers do you know when the luck came he was there to make the most of it and um, yeah you know, good on him but you know don't go you know ripping up all expectations now and thinking that Ferrari is going to be you know back up the front next weekend can't see it really can't see it I think they got lucky yeah, um, flattered, and, I, I, and I think and I think Charles made the most of that luck, but I don't think any more than that. What about the other car? <sighs> I mean, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. I mean, it's, it was another uh, you know enforced error, wasn't it? It was, you know, we've just seen it so many times before. I mean, he was, you know, he was off the pace uh, in quali. Um, he didn't shine particularly. There was a time in the race actually when he seemed to be doing quite well and then you know it was a you know it was a wildly over ambitious move I, I, I couldn't see that ever having a happy outcome unless he was expecting the other driver to just go all right well I'll just kind of you know drive around the outside of the track well that's not what you do um and uh yeah it's not a good start is it no this is Vettel so of course he's um, it's a strange season for him because we know he's on his way out of uh, the Scuderia at the end of this season um, and so we all wondered well what's that going to mean for him is it going to be a rocket up his backside and we're going to see him driving out of his skin just to try and prove that he has still got it he hasn't lost anything or is he going to carry on in the the same sort of form? And it, it seems to be the latter, doesn't it? It, it was it was a clumsy mistake, the type that we've seen time and time again over the past couple of years. Um, it was it was bizarre to watch. Even he tried to bail out of that move at the last minute, um, knowing that he'd got it wrong. Um, and it, it seems strange whenever. He comes together with another car. He rotates. Yeah, I mean, it really saddens me actually because you know I'm not you know I, I I know how easy it is for British media because they did it to Schumacher as well to sort of to take um, drivers like him and Vettel and you know and, and and turn them into sort of you know pantomime villains and I and I I've just ne- I was never like that with Michael I'm, I've never been like that with Sebastian. Um, and it, it kind of reminds me of a sort of you know a, a boxer who's just sort of had one fight too many. Um, and is trying to recapture his former glories and is trying too hard and making mistakes. And I just, I just don't like seeing, you know, and, and the strange thing is, is, you know, if he was 40, I'd be going, well, he's 40. What do you expect? But he's not, he's what, I can't remember what he is, but he's like 31, 32. He's still a young, he's, he's younger than Lewis, a lot younger than Lewis. Um, and it, and it pains me to see, you know, a once great career, um, going in the direction that it's, it's going in currently. Now, you, of course, you know, what you can't, you can't tell anything from a single weekend and maybe next weekend he'll be, you know, out ahead of, uh, his teammate and, you know, making the most of, of, of what he's got. But, you know, so far it's not encouraging. No, there, there is some onboard footage doing the rounds on social media of Seb's car. Um, and I, I don't know which stage of the race it was, but it just looks a pig to drive. Yeah. It's yeah. snapping, it's snapping on him on every turn in, um, and I think in the, his post-race interview, he said, didn't he, that he was surprised he only spun once. Um, and he, he was clearly struggling enormously with that car. Um, so is that mitigating? I don't know. I suspect not and, really. Because... And do you think, do you think that, that that's because they've got so, they've had such a drop in engine power? Because it's slower than it was last season, I think, isn't it? They, um, they were, Charles's uh, qualifying lap was a second slower than his pole time last year. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? So, and, and maybe Vettel's answer to that or way to try to mitigate that is to trim the car out as much as possible. Um, so you've at least got some straight line speed. Um, but then, you know, there's an inevitable price in, in, in downforce paid for that. And maybe why that's, that's why the car was so difficult. To try. I don't know. I don't know. 
Can we talk about Lando? Well, okay, we will do. Racing point very quickly in the 2019 spec Mercedes. Um, yes. L- looking very quick at points, really dicing with the, the quick guys up there, which is good to see. Um, hopefully they'll be a, a bit more of a factor throughout this 2020 season. But yes, McLaren. McLaren. Uh, well, <laughs> okay, can I ask you a question? I, I mean, okay, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I, you know, some, so somebody um, came up with this fact on Twitter in a, rep- in a response to something I'd written, so I'd not even thought about it. Um, when was the last British driver, when did a, a new British driver last score his first podium position in Formula One? Um... Was it so the you, start of the 2007 season? It was Lewis, was it Lewis? in Australia in 2007. It's been 13 seasons since wow. a British driver last scored a maiden podium. Wow. Um, okay, so yesterday was a big, big day. Yeah, big day, big day. Did you see his last lap? Yeah. It was, I mean, if anybody's listening to it and you haven't seen it, there is a... Um, you can see it on the official F1 channel, but there's also um, there, there's somebody who posted it um, without all the bleeps, um, and so you can hear you can hear the language. Um, and it's I mean it's I mean the amazing thing about that last lap, despite the fact that you know he was knackered, his tyres were knackered, uh, and everything else, it's just it's just flawless. He's not sort of flinging it all over the place, but he is so on it. Um, and yeah, I, I he, I, I'm, I'm myself sure that he caught Mercedes napping because I'm sure that the Mercedes guys thought the gap, you know, he's never going to close that gap. So don't worry about it, guys. Uh, look after your gearboxes because, as you know, the Mercedes were in some trouble uh, anyway. Um, and then Lando goes and does that, and I just, I just, I couldn't be happier for him. I couldn't be happier for McLaren. Uh, I couldn't be happier for the fact that um, you know a team other than a Mercedes, uh, a Red Bull or a Ferrari is back on the podium. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it? McLaren back up there. Hopefully, okay, so a couple of cars dropped down the order a bit, but hopefully we'll see more of that throughout the year. Um, yeah, and fantastic that it, it's young Norris. That You're quite right, that last lap was a killer. And it was fascinating to hear his engineer almost coaching him through with the you know the the boosts um the sort of oh yeah, toys yeah press over, got. overtake for five seconds now i do you know because i don't um i mean there was you know some uh regulation not that long ago saying that you can't yes yeah i, I was going to bring this up you're absolutely right to mention it so in what way is that not helping your driver i don't know i don't know if it's been quietly relaxed that rule or if you know that somehow that doesn't quite fall under it but I, I yeah you're quite i thought we'd heard the end of uh, engineers coaching drivers through a lap like that it's yeah yeah they're, they're, they're allowed to sort of say well you need to you know you need to come in and change your tires now what sort of but as far as you know offering advice on how to make your car particularly on how to make your car go faster i think they can still do it if it's you know a reliability thing it's, if it's like sort of oh you know you need to you know limit your revs or cool your brakes um I think they can perhaps do that. But in terms of just giving pure advice on how to drive your car quicker, you know, um, I didn't think you can do that. But um, clearly you can, because I'm sure somebody far more intelligent than me would have flagged it up by now. Well, yes. I mean, you can bet that Mercedes or somebody would have uh, raised a, a, you know, a, a challenge there. Um, there's, there must be a reason why they haven't. Um, so seven days after the Austrian Grand Prix, we've got the Styrian Grand Prix, um, also at the Red Bull Ring. Uh, so I reckon we should both make predictions now um, for what we're going to see on Sunday. Um, you go ahead then, Andrew. Lewis wins it. Valtteri second. Max. Yeah, I think it's. I mean, I think it's going to be the kind of um, the calm after the storm. I'm afraid. I think that you know they'll have so much data. Uh, everybody will know so much more than they did. Um, before Sunday afternoon um, and you know Mercedes made mistakes uh, which you don't usually see I don't expect that to happen again um, you know the thing you have to remember is you know as we saw in quality that car is just faster than anything else out there which means that unless the unexpected happens they're just going to romp away um, and I and I fear that they will um, for me I just you know it, it's the two well I know that um, Alex is uh, he's British born he's a Thai who's British born but I just hope that the two you know, that Lando and Alex um, continue their form. Uh, it was very interesting to me that Lando, um, you know, got past Sainz um, and really, you know, did a bit of a number on him, uh, which I think bodes hugely uh, well for the for the future because I think, you know, I think everybody understands that Carlos Sainz um, is a terrific driver 
Um, and but I think I think going forward for the rest of the season, I can't, I'm afraid, see anything, you know, which is going to make me alter my prediction that it will ultimately be a Mercedes steamroller. You know, we have to remember that they don't usually go well in Austria. You know, that they've got the best car. I mean, they don't even have Ferraris to worry about anymore. So it would seem. Um, and yeah, when you get onto those Mercedes-friendly circuits, I'm afraid I think they're going to be gone. Yeah, I I wouldn't um, object to any of that. I think you're absolutely right. Uh, well, there we go. We'll maybe have another chat about uh, Formula One after the Austrian Grand Prix when uh, I don't know Carlos Sainz has won and Lewis <laughs> has stuffed it into a title. I don't know. It was unpredictable, wasn't it? And I just hope we see more unpredictability throughout the rest of the season. Um, Okay, well, let's leave F1 there. And we're going to dig out a few of the most recent Drive Nation posts at Drive Nation underscore on Instagram. Um, Go and check it out if you're not already familiar with it. Um, Now, the most interesting post and the most discussed post of the the week, Andrew, was um, the Ineos Grenadier, which is... Okay, to me, it looks like a reimagining of um, the old Defender, but they're quite determined that it's uh it, it's sort of uh, it, the design has ended up that way um almost because of the design brief rather than any specific intention to mimic any earlier models is that fair hmm. i mean i think if you are them um you will want to sail as close to that wind as you possibly can you are going to want to bathe in as much as that reflected glory um, you're going to want to make the association, aren't you? I mean, clearly, you're not going to want JLR lawyers banging down, bashing down your door. Um, but, you know, the clear positioning of that car is to go into the space that the Defender vacated. Um, and, you know, and obviously with the ladder chassis and with the live axles and, you know, the, all the hoo-ha about the fact that you can hose out its interior as well as its exterior, you know, that's the way they want that car to be perceived. So, you know, I... I for me, I, it's, it's like all these things. I mean, I was I, I attended a big sort of online presentation of the car, and I was taught around it and everything else. And you know, I know I think I know what it looks like, but you you, you can never be sure until you see these things in the flesh, uh, and particularly on the move because it, it's always different. So I'm not going to rush to judgment right now. For myself, I do wish it looked a bit different. It had some identity of its own. I don't think it's good looking as a defender. I think that's a problem for me. I think underneath it. Um, I think it's interesting um, and, you know, don't underestimate Jim Ratcliffe um, and his determination to do what he feels he needs to do. Um, you know, don't forget that the volume aspirations, uh, which is only about 25,000 cars a year, are very low indeed. So it's not like they need to come in and, um, you know, give you know, Toyota Land Cruiser the fright of its life. They can all operate in the same space. Um, and obviously, you know, I'm, you know, someone who you know, has owned a series Land Rover for goodness knows how long. Uh, I just love the idea of people still being able to buy cars like that. Um, will it succeed? I, I, I hope so. I hope so. There is a gap in the market, but, um, you know, there are lots of people who come on, haven't they, saying, well, yeah, but, you know, what's it, what is, what's it doing that, you know, you can't go and um, buy a one-time pickup and do for a lot less money? It's caused such uh, sort of debate um, on DN and everywhere else as well. Um, I think one of the real hanging sticking points for a lot of people is that it just looks like a, a Defender clone visually, albeit with some sort of slightly more modern accoutrements. It, I, I'll wait until I've seen a finished car in the flesh, but um, I wasn't entirely persuaded by those digital renderings that we saw. Um, so w- w- what do you think about... Okay, we know that whenever anyone comes into the car sector... Um, it's one thing engineering and designing and manufacturing a good car but then there's so much more to it after that there's after sales you need dealerships you need service centers the whole lot have they given any insight into how any of that stuff will function uh, they have, um, but you know they would say that, the, 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 that there is obviously going to be a network um, and you know and, and you know, Ineos does have the resources to uh, to set this up and you know and it's not like they're trying to sell millions of cars to me actually the real challenge they've got and what really interests me is you know this car will not succeed if it only sells to uh to farmers and you know ngos and um and and that sort of thing it has to become fashionable 
you know it has because more than anything else you know they were they're not going to make money if everybody just buys the cheapest version it has to be you know, and, and that's what kept the defender alive for as long as it did it wasn't you know um you know outback doctors in australia it was um, fashionistas in knightsbridge just love the idea of rumbling around the place in the defender now how you convince that lot with a car called an Ineos Grenadier that it is entitled to that cachet, the same cachet that you know, the Land Rover Defender had, which the Defender had because you know, it had been around for 70 years um, and because it was a Land Rover, which in itself is a highly desirable brand. Um, you know, they know um, they've got a job to do there. Um, and it, it's, it's how they do that, um, which is really, really going to interest me. Um, you know, they've got some really clever guys um, working on that side of things and you know things like the ad campaigns the marketing I, I'll just be really interested to see how they do it because I, I think probably of all the challenges they've got I mean I don't doubt the car will be well engineered because uh, it's being engineered by Magnus Steyr in Graz uh, these are the same people who build the G-Wagon for Mercedes-Benz so the, the, these guys know what they're doing particularly when it comes to live axles and ladder chassis so um, I think the car itself, I'd be amazed if it wasn't sound. It's got BMW powertrains. It should be absolutely fine from all those regards. Um, but as you say, making a car is one thing. Selling it, quite another. You can't fault their ambition. I'd, I'd love to see a short wheelbase version. They haven't confirmed either way. They certainly haven't released any images of one. Um, but I, the sense I get is that for the London fashion crowd, the, the short wheelbase one will be the one that they're waiting for. It, it, it always was, wasn't it? I mean, that was certainly the case with the Defender. And where they certainly have something over the current Defender um, is that, you know, that ladder chassis, okay, it may not be structurally, uh, structurally rigid as a, as, as a monocoque, but you can, it does mean that you can chop it into different lengths. So you can do a short wheelbase one quite easily. It also means you can bolt anything you like on top of it, which is, you know, which is one reason there's a pickup version of the Grenadier and there won't be a quick pickup version of the, of the new Defender. Um, so from that point of view, in terms of the sort of the platform versatility, um, you know, it already has one over the new Defender. Do you think it's realistic that any that a single Grenadier will leave a showroom if there's such a thing um, costing £35,000? <sighs> a few. Um, actually, yeah, I think I think there, because I, I think there will be a few um, you know, iconoclastic farmers who you know who just want to use one as a as a working tool in the fields, um, you know that sort of thing. So yes, I think I think there will be a few. I mean, I think that there will be more base spec grenadiers sold than there will be hard top Land Rover Defenders sold, but um, but we'll see. Interesting one. It's very uh, yeah. We're going to enjoy seeing how that one unfolds. Talking of unfolding. Oh, God. What have I done? No, Ferrari F8 Spy has got a folding roof, you see. Ah, uh, very good, very good, very <laughs> good. Yes, yes. You've, you, you've been... Uh, you've been uh, have you, you've been, would you say you've been enjoying yourself in that? Uh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, <clears throat> do you know what? Ten years ago, when I was in my early 20s, I would have loved rumbling around town in a yellow drop-top Ferrari. Um, but I, I just feel a bit self-conscious now. Um, maybe it's because we're actually still in the midst of this whole pandemic and driving around in a bright yellow convertible Ferrari just doesn't feel particularly sensitive. I don't know, but I, yeah, there was something about how, how visible that car is that made me feel a little bit uneasy, um, which is sort of a minor issue compared to some of the other, uh, problems that I have with that car. Um, that I, I, so I, last year, at the end of summer, I went to Marinello to drive the F8 Tributo, which is the fixed roof model. Um, and I just thought it was kind of everything that uh, a Berlinetta Ferrari mid-engine car could be and needed to be in 2019. I, I think I, I really got the sense that Ferrari had been evolving that platform over the years as, as they have been since 2009. And they just got to a point where it, they, they're on top of it. Um, and I, I thought it was really, really bloody good to drive. I really enjoyed it. And so I approached the, the Spider, um, optimistic, hopeful. Um, but of course, I've driven Spider versions of um, earlier models, so the, well, the 488 Spider in particular. And the issue that I have with that car is that it's just the, the chassis torsional rigidity just isn't there. When you, take, when you peel away that roof because it's um, a conventional aluminium monocoque, it's not a carbon tub like you get in a McLaren, you do lose a good amount of torsional rigidity. Um, now, I'm kind of in two minds about this because 
it is annoying to feel the car creaking and shuddering around you. Um, and as I've written, you don't just feel it. You actually hear it and you see it. In You really do see that rear view mirror rattling away. It's a constant blur, particularly on a sort of rougher road. Um, and that just tells you how much the header rail is moving, how much the whole body is flexing. Um, and w- what's perhaps more annoying than that is that, it, therefore, bits of interior trim creak against each other. Um, and you're always reminded that you're driving a compromised version of this amazing car. Um, and that that's a frustration for me. Having said that, you know, it still handles beautifully. It's still It's still got that supple suspension, particularly in bumpy road mode, that deals with the worst of our roads sort of uncannily well. Um, it does steer better than previous versions of this car uh, in a more calm, more sort of fluid, less flighty way. That engine, um, it's so strong. It's so responsive. Um, I mean, it just makes a McLaren 720S engine look like it's got 1970s turbo lag. Um, It's astonishing. It's a shame that it just doesn't sound better. Um, It's got a a gasoline particulate filter now. um, And of course, it's twin turbocharged. And that means that that old howling, wailing Ferrari flat plane crank V8 sound is long, long gone. Um, And it's not such a big deal in the coupe, but with the roof off, you just can't ignore how kind of tuneless and flat the soundtrack is. Um, And so although the F8 Spider is still a hugely capable and desirable machine, take away its roof and you've got a thing that rattles and wobbles around and you're much much more aware of the the slightly disappointing soundtrack um and those two things make it a far less satisfying and exciting car than the coupe whereas you know if we've been having this conversation about um or any McLaren you like, which is available in open and closed form, then, you know, I don't know about you, but when I drive a McLaren Spider of any time, I basically can't tell the difference in terms of structural stiffness um, compared to um, the coupe version. And, I mean, I think on the one hand, you can say, I suspect that you and I would be much more sensitive to that sort of thing than your average F8 Spider um owner might be but on the other um you know it it, it is a reason to not buy the car isn't it or or, or or to be put off buying the car if it is going to behave like that it's very interesting um well i'm in it next weekend so i shall um i shall, I, I shall see for myself it'll be interesting to see if you agree um the okay so we're talking about f8 spider um that really is actually an old Ferrari. Okay, it's the new Spider model, but it's based on the 488, based on the 458. So really, that platform has been with us for a long, long time. Um, but you are soon going to drive an actual new Ferrari. Yeah, yeah, I am. I am this week on Thursday, uh, and this is something. I think this is this is our third attempt, um, you know, to, to to get out to Italy and drive this car. I am going to drive the SF90 on Thursday, um, which I am, as you can imagine, um, really, really excited about. Uh, I mean, I think it does sit on a massively developed version of the same of, of, of the same platform. And I actually asked um, the engineers why, with a car like this, uh, so the SF90 has a thousand horsepower. Um, and you know, I, I did ask why this why this was not the time to go to a carbon tub. And they still Ferrari still maintains absolutely that if you're not doing limited volume cars like the, the LaFerrari and so on, um, that uh, an aluminium tub. And this one does the SF90 does have a bit you know quite you know some carbon fiber in it now. There's the, the rear bulkhead, for instance, is is carbon fiber, but they're still adamant that aluminium is the is the way to go. But anyway, but this car is the SF9. I mean, it, it's so interesting. It's the, you know, it's the new flagship Ferrari, but it's only got eight cylinders. Well, that's the first time that's happened. Um, it's, you know, a four-wheel drive Ferrari, but it's mid-engined, and that's the first time that that's happened. Um, it's Ferrari's first plug-in hybrid. Uh, there are so many firsts in it. Um, and, it's, it, you know, usually, you know, if you get into an F8 Spider or whatever, then, you know, you've driven a, a Tributor, you've kind of got an idea what it's like. If you've driven a, you know, a 488 and you're about to get into an F8 Tributor, you kind of got an idea what it's going to be like because you know where it's come from. SF90, I mean, I just don't know. I mean, on the one hand, it concerns me a bit because, 
you know, I, I don't know what you thought, but, you know, uh, when I drive, you know, modern mid-engine Ferraris, I'm rarely sitting there thinking what I really, really could do with now is another 300 horsepower. <laughs> um, but, you know, obviously, you know, it, it, it's got that power, um, but also it's got a load more weight um, that's come with it. Um, you know, a Ferrari like McLaren, and this really annoys me, they always quote not only dry weights, which are usually about 100 kilos less than a curb weight, which everybody else quotes, but they always quote dry weights with all the lightest options fitted, which, um, you know, in the Ferrari's case is the, you know, the list of light things that you can stick on it. Um, you know, it just goes on forever. Um, but I think, you know, the curb weight of a standard car is going to be well into the 1700 plus kilos and you know on the one hand I think to myself well there's a load of power and I wonder if you need it um, which comes with a load of weight which I'm pretty sure you're not going to want but on the other hand I know these guys I know how well they engineer stuff and if anybody can um square that circle it's ferrari i mean there you know there have been lots of times when i've gone out to drive a ferrari and i thought well you know this is where they've gone past optimum or this car's gonna have real problems and they found a way around it and it is so clever certainly on paper in terms of the technology uh the torque vectoring the way um it deploys its electrically driven front axle um and i've also spoken to Raffaella de simone their test driver who's who's just a really really good bloke um and i said you know what's it like compared to a pista and he says it's not the same as a pista because it is heavier and it is more powerful um but you know he said it's it's different but um but but better because it's quicker because there's more stuff that you've got more options because of the way that you can play with the electronics and the four-wheel drive um and it's certainly um in terms of fiorano lap times it's certainly the quickest road car that ferrari has ever made and you know and what we're looking at is a standard production car they are not limiting the production of this car a standard production car with 1000 horsepower mm. <laughs> yeah welcome welcome to the new world of the hypercar is it a hypercar yeah, I, or we're calling it a supercar oh, i mean just, i don't know i don't know. i mean hypercars to me it always sort of says limited i mean i, I think hypercars and i think la ferraris and i think 918 spiders and i think mclaren p1s and they're all limited cars but you know it's got you know it's it's quicker than a la ferrari um but you know in base form it costs whatever it is 300 and something thousand pounds not a million pounds um so i mean it's going to be fascinating it's going to be and um there's no embargo on the story so you know i'll be writing about it on dn um this week so it'll be, um, yeah, it'll be really, really interesting to see. I, I mean, I, it's, it's always wonderful to go to Maranello uh, and to drive any Ferrari, obviously. But I, I'm going to be particularly interested um, in what this one is like to drive. Not particularly knocked out by the idea of having to get on an aeroplane to go and drive it. But, um, you know, it needs must, I guess. Well, that's true. So you'll be, you'll be travelling um, for the first time in a while. Uh, are there any sort of precautions in place for that? You, I, if I were you, Andrew, I'd wear a, a racing helmet and not take it off until <laughs> you got to your hotel room. I mean, Ferrari have been amazingly good about the whole thing. I mean, they, they've talked us through the whole procedure. I mean, obviously, you, you have to wear masks and all that sort of thing when you're in public spaces like airports on an aircraft. Um, but, um, you know, the SF90 that has been allocated to me, I'm the only person who will drive that car. It will have been fully sterilised before I get in it, and it will be fully sterilised before anybody else gets in it again after that. Uh, so how we do the in-car driving shot, I'm not quite sure, but we'll find a way. Um, you know, my photographer will travel in a separate vehicle, which I think is going to be a sort of like a minibus, so he can be three rows behind the driver. I mean, they really have been you know, pretty assiduous, um, and they clearly take it very seriously. I'm not quite sure whether that's because, you know, they're worried about them infecting us or us infecting them, but it doesn't matter, does it? It's, you know, it, it is reassuring to know that they have, um, you know, taken these things, as I say, very seriously. Well, I was just going to say, there's very clearly a hierarchy here at Drive Nation, because um, while you are flying off to Marinello to drive the new SF90 Stradale, I'm going to be going to Millbrook to drive something less exotic although i have to say i'm still quite looking forward to driving the polestar too yes well i mean again another really really interesting car you know polestar i mean the polestar one it wasn't a car which you know i 
for the money, um, I, I, I found it quite a flawed product, but it was interesting, wasn't it? Um, and you know, and you know, and I think the Polestar Two, which is Volvo's, well, sorry, there you go. Yeah. There's a Freudian slip. You can't say Volvo, can you? It's not a Volvo. Uh, it's got no. nothing to do with Volvo, other than being owned by the same company. But it is their new uh, all-electric. It's a sort of Tesla Model Three rival, isn't it? Exactly right. Yeah, and uh, it, actually, it, it's, it is the first. Polestar really isn't it because the Polestar one was very limited edition and it was a hybrid which Polestars are not going to be yeah yeah Um, and they're not limiting its top speed are they that's right yeah so I can do more than 112 if I'm running a bit late (laughs) 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 let's let's hope I'm not Um, so well there we go I think there's also no embargo on that so this week we'll have um, drives on both the SF90 Stradale and the Polestar 2 where nothing if not a broad church no, and we've already done the drives of the Morgan Plus 4 and Plus 6. So that's three really interesting new cars this week. Wow. So we've got Formula One back in another race this weekend and three really intriguing cars to write about. It's, we're, we're back to it, aren't we? We're, it really yeah, feels I, like we're getting I, I, back I, I, to I it. I think normal service is being resumed and thank goodness for that. What a relief. What a relief. Okay, well, let's wrap that one up. Um, Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, I have to rattle through all this stuff because it is important. Please remember to rate the podcast, leave a little review wherever you get your podcasts, and do subscribe as well. Um, That means you won't miss one, and it really does us a a favour as well. Um, Remember to check out Drive Nation on Instagram, at drivenation underscore. um, And we'll talk to you again next week when, hopefully, we've got another great race to get excited about yeah well here's hoping and, and obviously also if you fancied um donating a little bit of money to help us continue to do this sort of stuff um on patreon then you can be do that and we would be incredibly grateful you can find us on patreon.com forward slash drive nation um but yes uh, until this time next week um, when we will have driven a load more stuff and had another grand prix um we bid you farewell farewell everyone goodbye The Drive Nation Podcast with Dan Prosser and Andrew Frankel. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 